Good evening. We are in the middle of discussing the unique, the unique area of Shavuos, where Shavuos differs from the other Yom Tovim in the context that Shavuos has no specific halachas attached to it, other than enormous amount of minhagim and different changes of minhagim amongst different sectors in Klal Yisrael. Because Shavuos is the Yom Tov of Minhogim. It's a Yom Tov where we take Torah. We take the, the Torah that was given to us on Shavuos. And we turn every aspect of this world into Torah. And that manifests itself by us keeping Minhogim, which are not actually part of Torah in, the, in that sense. But it's us who are making things which are external to Torah and attaching them to Torah. And they become now very much part and parcel of who we are. Minhogim play a huge part in our because Minhagim represents the attachment that we have attached to Torah, and that's the Yom Tov of Shavuos. When it comes to Shavuos, the uh, Gemara tells us, Hakol Moedim, everybody agrees, the Be'inon and Nami Lochem, we need to have an element of Lochem, that which is yours in Shavuos. In a simple understanding, that means that on some Yom Tovim, there are opinions who hold that you don't need to eat, you can fast. But on Shavuos, everybody, everybody agrees you need to have Lochem. But in the context of what we're discussing now, we can perhaps use it as a remez, that we all have to take our lives and, and the part, parts and parcel of the way we're living and turn that into Torah. And we do that by expressing the yomtav of, of Shavuos through Minhogim and primarily the minig of eating milky on yomtav. We discussed in the previous year the, uh, the minig Ashkenaz, where we have milky at night, a full meal of milky at night, and meaty meals during the day. That's the minig Ashkenaz, and we discussed the different aspects of the halacha element of that minig, where it, 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 we are affected by the halacha, the concept of simchas yomtev, etc. Today we would like to continue and discuss the minhogim, which we find elsewhere in Klal Yisrael, more amongst the Hasidim, very, very prevalent amongst the Hasidim. The, the minig of eating milky, The minig of eating milky during the day. And as we discussed in the previous year, there's two different schools of thought in the minig of eating milky during the day. The first minig, which we're going to discuss, is the one where people come home from shul, they'd wash, they'd have some milky food with a, with challah, they then change over from the milky food and bring another challah and eat a meaty meal. So that's, again, in the same meal, eating milky first, then eating meaty afterwards. That minig is based on the Ramah, where the Ramah tells us that we bring two different types of breads, a milky bread and a meaty bread. And the reason why we do that is to remind us of the shtehalechem. And if we have two different types of bread, one milky, one meaty, that cannot be eaten together and have to be separate, that gives us the definition of two. We now have a remez in our meal for the shtehalechem, the carbon that was brought on the Yom Tov of Shurs. Besides, we have some of the other minhogim, some of the other reasons, as we discussed in the previous year, relevant to this minhog as well. According to this minhog, the Mogan of Rome points out, you should really be making a milky bread, a bread which is milky, and another bread which is not milky. So the milky bread will be eaten with the milky meal, and the non-milky bread, the power of bread, will be eaten with the meaty meal. And that's the, the way it should be done according to this minhog. So what we're going to discuss now is just some halachas which are relevant to this minute. 
this minute of eating a single meal, one meal during the day, which, which has within it two separate elements, two parts to it. One part is a milky meal part, and the second part is the meaty meal part, but all being eaten in the same meal. The Shukhanach tells us in Yeridev, and some of the, <coughs> excuse me, some of the points that we're going to be pointing out now are mentioned in the Mishnah Burra, some are not here in Hilcha in, in, in Hilch Shavuos, relevant to the, this discussion of eating milky on Shavuos. And the Shukhanach tells us in Mishnah Yeridev, in, in Shukhanach Yeridev, that it's forbidden to bake milky or meaty bread. There's an Issa, Chazal banned us from making milky or meaty bread because they were worried that if we make a bread which is milky or bread with it which is meaty, we may eat that bread together with the opposite type of food. I have a, a, a lovely challah, big challah, I eat it with my meaty meal, but there's part of that challah left. Chas I don't want to transgress the Issa of Bal Tashchis, so I'm going to keep that bread. And then my next meal is going to be milky. So what's wrong? I'll take the bread and I'll forget that I've actually eaten it together with meaty. And I'll eat it together with milky and I'll be eating milky and meaty perhaps at the same time. It's a milky bread. And without realizing it, I'm forgetting it's a milky bread. I will eat it together with meaty or it's a meaty bread. And I'll forget that it's a meaty bread and I'll eat it together with milky. And I will now be eating milk and meat together. So in order to prevent that mistake, that scenario from happening... Chazal said you're not allowed to make a milky and meaty bread, which causes us a little bit of a, of a headache. If that's the case, how do we fulfill the minig that the Ramah mentions in the manner that the Ramah mentions? In this minig of eating milky and meaty at the same meal, but different parts of the meal, the first part being milky with a milky bread, and the second part being meaty with a meaty bread or a power of bread. How do I actually accomplish that if I'm not allowed to make a milky bread or a meaty bread? Because Chazal banned me from baking bread milky or baking bread meaty. So I need to find some way around that. Now the Shukhanach then, Yeridea, tells us that if one does want to bake a, a milky bread or a meaty bread, there's two ways that one is allowed to actually make a milky or meaty bread. One is that you bake a small amount that will definitely be finished in the meal. So, for example, in the context that we're discussing in the, the Yom Tov of Shavuos, so you'd make milky breads, you'd make a milky set of rolls, one roll per person and no more. And even if a person starts the roll and has and eats two-thirds of the roll, you're not going to, most people won't keep the rest of that roll. But it's made small enough sizes that, that the participants of your meal will actually finish those rolls. That's the intention and that's the size that you've made. So you've made just the right amount for the people to be able to participate and, and enjoy that role and no more. Then the risk of the, there being left over that you might mistakenly come and eat together with meaty is minimized, almost non-existent, because the bread that you baked is going to be completed and finished at the meal, at the milky meal. So you don't have to worry. In that scenario, say Chazal, you're allowed to actually make milky bread or Chazal give us a second option. If you bake the bread in a completely unusual shape, so if we normally have challah or bread form, which is parav, and therefore if we would bake a milky bread in that form, we may mistakenly forget that it's milky and come and use it together with and eat it together with some meaty. But if you baked it in a different shape, so for example, you made a, a shape of a pretzel, I don't know, uh, any other out-of-the-box shape, or you made a bread with a very nice picture pattern on it made out of the bread, which is very clearly shows you this bread is unusual. And that will remind you that this bread was was baked milky or meaty and is not to be crossed from one to the other. Then there's a little chance of a mistake happening and then you'll have to bake milky bread. So in order to fulfill this 
minag, the second minag in Klali's role, the minag which is primarily what the Ramah mentions, we would have to bake milky bread, but bake it either in a very small amount that will be consumed completely at the milky part of the meal, or bake it in a very unusual shape. Clearly recognizable, this is unusual so that if there is left over, you won't come and mistakenly come to eat it with the opposite type of food. So that's the first halacha, which is extremely relevant. If a person does follow this minig of milky and meaty in the same meal and wants to com- fulfill the minig in its entirety, as the Morgan of Rome points out, with a milky loaf of bread, make sure that you either make just the right amount for the meal or it's baked in an unusual shape. A second halacha, which is relevant to this minig, very relevant to this minig that the Ramah mentions and which is prevalent in some areas in Kali Shochanor tells us again in your idea in an earlier sermon that if a person eats a loaf of par of bread in a milky meal or at a meaty meal he needs to remove the remainder of that bread and he's not allowed to eat the remainder of that bread with the opposite food it's not as serious an issue as baking milky bread and eating it with meaty, because they're eating milky and meaty together. But Chazal did not allow you to use leftover bread, leftover bread from a milky meal to eat in a meaty meal. Or leftover bread from a meaty meal that's been eaten at a meaty meal to eat it with a milky meal. Chazal banned you from using the same bread. So therefore, in this scenario, in this case, where you're going to be eating bread with your milky meal, even if it's power of bread, you would have to take that bread off the table and bring a new bread to the table for your meaty meal. And the Mishnah Baruch quotes this halacha here when it's relevant, what's relevant to Leil Shvus. Another halacha which is pertinent to this minute. There's somebody who eats cheese and then eats meat. And we're going to come to the halacha of waiting between milky and meaty a bit later. But just for the moment, let's discuss and focus this point of following on a meal of meat from a meal of milk. So you've eaten your milk and you want to then go and eat your meat. The halach is you need to wash your hands. You need to be madiach yodov or la'ayin alehem. You need to wash your hands and check them to make sure there's no grease of cheese left on your hands. So that's the first halacha. So if you're going to follow this minute, you're going to have to wash your hands afterwards and make sure that your hands are, are, are thoroughly clean so you're not going to cross-contaminate the food that's left on your hands by touching your meaty food. So when it comes to eating milky meal, very often the milky is milky cakes, cream cakes. It's things that you may actually eat with your hands. Uh, if you belong to different sectors in cholesterol, you may use your hands to eat. Different people in cholesterol use their hands to eat. And therefore, you need to wash your hands and make sure they're clean and checked so that there's no cross-contamination between milky and meaty. Secondly, the halacha tells us that you need to wash and clean your mouth out. The kaneach piv to wash and clean out your mouth because you've got residue of cheese, milky in your mouth. So you need to wash and clean out your mouth. The way we wash and clean our mouth out is that we eat bread. You eat a plain piece of bread, and by chewing bread, that will absorb any grease or any leftover particles of milky food which are deposited and left in the mouth. And then you take a drink, either a drink of water or a drink of wine. 
etc. That's called lahadiach, lakaneach, or lahadiach piv, to wash and clean out his mouth. So, if you're going to follow the meaning of the remark, you need to make sure that you bake milky bread in small amounts or unusual shape. You need to make sure that you don't use use any leftover bread if it's part of from one meal to the other meal. You need to make sure that your hands are clean and you've checked them. You've washed them and checked them, and you need to make sure that your mouth has been washed and cleaned by eating bread, a piece of bread, and having a drink, a drink of water or a drink of wine. Now, in the next area which is relevant to this minute is the halacha of waiting between milk and meat. Now, the Ramah tells us that if a, a person in your day, if a person eats meat, it's a shukhanach, if a person eats meat, then he has to wait six hours after he's eaten meat before he can partake of any milky foods. The Ramah says, there's an opinion that says you don't actually need to wait six hours. If you remove the table, you change the table, you've taken the table away, you clean the table, and you benched, that's a break between the meal of meaty, you're then allowed to partake of milky. Ramah adds, so that's not the minic. The minic Ashkenaz, however, is to wait an hour. Minig Ashkenaz is to wait an hour. That's a remote. That's a minig in, in, in Holland and in other places, in, in small parts of Kladishol, they keep the minig of the remote and they wait an hour. The shach on the side of the Shochmarch there tells us that Uh, sorry, the remote adds that the the best is to wait six hours and the shach writes that that's how one should behave and his wording is somebody who has a reach, a smell of Torah should make sure that he waits six hours and not follow the minute of the one hour mentioned in the remote. The remote himself says to wait six hours and the shach says that for somebody who has a he should wait six hours, shouldn't wait the one hour. So waiting from meaty to milky, we have six hours in the Mechaba, six hours, the Nochain of the Ramah, the Reich of the Shach, and then we have the one hour, the, the, the Ramah Kos, which is a minig, which is prevalent in, in a number of communities in Ashkenaz. The minig to wait five and a bit hours doesn't really have a source. It's based, Pashtas, simple understanding, it's based on the wording of the Rambam. The Rambam seems to say that one should wait you should wait like six hours, which means around six hours. Around six hours means once you've entered into the sixth hour, it's assumed that's called around six hours. And therefore, there are many people who have the minute to wait just a little bit more than five hours. Once you've crossed into the sixth hour, you fulfill the wording of the Rambam of And that's the Common minig as well amongst many people in Kalisrael. The minig of three hours doesn't really have much source. It may be based on a mistake in the print in Rabbein Yeruchim where he wrote Vov and there was, it looked like a gimel or it may not be. It's hard to, hard to say that it's a mistake. I don't know. In amongst the Swadi, early Swadi Gedolim, I once came across a explanation where the number three comes from. But that's a minute which a number of people have, not many, a number of people have a minute of three hours. I know Rabbi Feldman did not like the minute of three hours. And uh, if people would ask him, should they change from three to six? He would say change from three to six. But I never tell people what to do. And people should follow their minute. And Nara, Kanahara, each one according to their minute, that's what they should do. Now, when it comes to, to eating between milky and meaty cheese, 
and meat, between cheese and meat. There Rama tells us that between cheese and meat you do not need to wait unless the cheese is called Gvina Kosha, hard cheese. The Shach explains what's called Gvina Kosha. Gvina Kosha is cheese that's been stored and preserved for six months before it can actually be used. It's been matured for six months. And therefore, any cheese matured for six months, says the shach, you need to wait six hours, or whatever you wait between meaty and milky, you need to wait, sorry, between meaty and milky, you need to wait between hard cheese and milk. Whether we have hard cheese today is a huge contention amongst the poskim. Here in London, the minig was, and uh, that was the, the psak given down by Irapadva, and that was a minig, previous Irapadva, as far as I understand, the minig in England was that we do wait on even present-day hard cheese. Despite the fact that present-day hard cheese, not all of it, some of it, but not all of it has been matured for six months. Sometimes it has, sometimes it hasn't. But even the ones that haven't, we don't know what real hard cheese is. And therefore, we assume that all cheese today, even though it's not been matured for six months, because the processes are, are, are much more refined, we give it a context of hard cheese, and we wait six hours. And we wait six hours. The minute in America, if you speak to an American, they'll never heard of the context of six hours after cheese. They will not know what you're talking about. Cheese, you have your pizza, and then you're going to have your, 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 your steak following on from each other. Of course, you have to be mediach piv and, and et cetera, et cetera. The kanech mediach piv and wash your hands. But they have no problem eating immediately from cheese, hard cheese, what we would call hard cheese, straight into a meaty meal because they do not have the context of hard cheese in their, in their vernacular in today's world. And that's a huge machlekes in the poskim. We discussed with Shlomo Zalman and Abel Yashiv. Yashiv said, yes, you should wait six hours. As far as I remember, Shlomo Zalman himself waited six hours, but it didn't always pass them to other people that you should wait six hours. It's unclear whether cheese is considered hard or not. But as we said, here in England, here in London, and in Gateshead, the old Gateshead Rav also followed the minute of keeping six hours between cheese, hard cheese, and milk. So that's another context that you have to bear in mind with regards to this minute, if you're going to be eating a milky pre-meaty in the morning meal, then you have to make sure that what you're eating is not hard cheese. Because if you are going to keep a time difference between your milky and meaty meal in order to make that time break between the two, then you have to make sure that you don't eat milky hard cheese. Because if you're going to eat hard cheese, then you're going to have to wait your one hour or your three hours or your five and a bit hours or your six hours that would really make your meal into a long, drawn-out affair. And I don't think that's going to go down very well with the rest of the family. So therefore, another context to take into account. It's because of all these complexities in this minute that maybe that's a thought that that's why in Ashkenaz and prevalent amongst our shul, the minute is to eat the milky meal at night. Because we eat the milky meal at night, we don't eat meat afterwards. The meat is the next day, we don't have any complications with milky and meaty on the same meal, milky and meaty gaps between washing hands, washing mouths out, none of that is relevant, and it just makes life a bit more streamlined and a bit simpler. That may be part of the reasoning why in Ashkenaz they eat the milky meal at night and the meaty meals during the day. But, as we said, this is a very prevalent mimic amongst Scottish folk to have milky and meaty during the day at the same time. Many people, even in our shul, will come home early from davening, especially if you daven in the first minion, and they will have a, a milky kiddish. And they will have a milky kiddish. And then, a while later, have a meaty meal. And then these halachas will apply as well. You'd have to make sure 
that your hands are clean, your mouth has been washed out, etc., to to be assured that you don't cross-contaminate between your milky and the meaty that you're going to be eating much later. The third minig, which we mentioned in the previous year, is very similar to the second minig. But they, in order to get around another issue, which is not mentioned in the Ramah, but is mentioned in the source of the Ramah. The Ramah quotes his source as well. And that halacha is quoted in the, it's a source from the Zaya, where the Zaya tells us that a person shouldn't eat in the same meal milky or meaty. Shouldn't eat at the same meal milky or meaty. I'm not saying, I think it is in a remark, actually. You shouldn't be eating milky and meaty in the same, in the same meal. Yes. So the Zaya tells us that, that the remark just mentions one bit of the Zaya which says you mustn't eat meaty after milky. But the Zaya there continues and says that you shouldn't eat milky and meaty in the same meal. Now, if you're going to follow the minig of the remark and the minig that we just discussed, then you're going to be eating milky and meaty in the same meal and you're going to be not fulfilling that part of the Zaya. Now, you may turn around and say that the Zaya is not mentioned in Shulchan Aruch and therefore we don't need to follow the Zaya and you may be correct. But if somebody would like to be careful and follow that extra halacha, which is mentioned in the Zaya, then that minig is not going to work. We may actually say that because minig is is so powerful on Shavuos, Shavuos is a day where we want to show the concepts of minig, and the minig is tighter and it can override maybe even elements of halacha. Of course, not black and white halachas, which are mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch, but halacha, which is mentioned in the Zaya and not mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch, maybe we don't fulfill that with intent on the day of Shavuos to show the power of Minag, the power that we have to turn this world into, into Tayyar, as we mentioned at the beginning of the Shir. And there is such a concept mentioned in the Noyam Eli Melech, this concept of Minag overriding Tayyar, even with regards to Halacha, which is a Chiddush in the Noyam Eli Melech. It's beyond the, the scope of the discussion tonight, but there is that concept does exist in the Noyam Eli Melech. So maybe that's why the, the, those people who keep that minig do not worry so much about the Zaya. But if anybody wants to worry about the Zaya, then that minig is just not going to work for them. So comes along a third minig, and as we mentioned, the third minig, they, they follow a different, slightly different uh, minig. They also have milky in the morning. They come over the shul, they wash, and they have milky, but they bench. They bench, and they wait a short while to make sure that they, to make sure that they don't have a problem of bracha levatola or bracha shenetzricha and to make sure that, that there's a, a good gap between the first meal and the second meal. Maybe go for a walk, et cetera, et cetera. And then they sit down to have the second meal. They eat a meaty meal. Again, this way you're having milky and meaty with two separate chalas, because your milky meal will have the chala, the milky chala, and you'll have the same issues as we discussed in the previous minute. The meaty meal will have a meaty chala or a par chala, so you now have two separate chalas, you fulfill the remark, you've got shteha lechem, and you don't have some of the issues mentioned in the previous minute as we've discussed, but you will have 
to wash your mouth out, you have to make sure your hands are clean, etc., etc. There is one more halacha which is interesting. Again, in the same Zoya that the Ramah quotes, but again, this part the Ramah doesn't mention. And the Zoya adds that not only should one not eat in the same meal, he says you mustn't eat within the same shah. The shaita chada, in one, within one hour, you shouldn't be eating milky and meaty. Now, that's a very interesting halacha in the Zoya. Again, not mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah or in the Shulchan Aruch anywhere, but it is in the same Zoya that the Ramah quotes. And you may turn around and say to me, if the remark quotes one part of the Zoya, not the other, it must be done intentionally. He doesn't quote it intentionally to tell us that we don't need to worry about it. And that would be a fair observation to make. But if somebody would like to care and worry about the Zoya, then he has a problem, even if it's two separate meals. He may not eat milky and meaty within the same hour. Therefore, if he's going to follow the, the, the third minute, he's going to have to wash, have his milky meal, bench, wait an hour, and then eat his meaty meal. And that's going to, again, drag out your meal a little bit beyond perhaps the, the patience of some of the other members of the household. And therefore, many Akhrenim say that when the Uzziah says a shaita chad, it doesn't actually mean a full hour. It means part of an hour. It means a while. And it's accepted amongst many of the poskim that half an hour is a sufficient time to wait between a milky and a meaty meal. And therefore, if you want to fulfill the Zoya and you keep the third minute that we've mentioned, then a half an hour break would be sufficient. You need to make a break anyway, because otherwise you've got a problem of Brach Hashem You can't just bench and then wash again straight away. That would be a Brach Hashem So you need to make a break. So you go for a walk, 20 minutes, half an hour. By the time you come back and you settle, settle down and you wash, you'll have a good half an hour gap between the two. And then you fulfilled that part of the Zoya as well through the second minute. Through the third minutes. We now have three different minhagim in Kladishol. Each one has their own issues. Each one has their own halachic areas of discussion. None of the minhagim are straightforward. Each one has an, has a, a bone of contention attached to it. That's shvurs. That's the beauty of shvurs that we have minhagim that are complex, but yet they are toyer. They become very much part of our toyer and part of the messiah of Kladishol and we mustn't change them for anything in the world. Messiah is there to be kept or not for anything else. I'm going to move on just for a few minutes to discuss some of the pitfalls in the preparation for Shavuos, which is something we've discussed in the past, but I feel it's relevant to discuss again, because there's very few Yom and Tevim where we cook milky and meaty at the same time. Now, today, many people have large kitchens, and Baruch Hashem, they have two separate cookers, a milky or power cooker and a meaty cooker, and therefore, this discussion may not be relevant, but you never know, you may be cooking enormous amount of stuff in one go, and you may be using different cookers, and if you only have one cooker, it's definitely relevant. The risks of things going wrong whilst you're cooking and preparing for Yom Tev, and you're making your meaty meal, and you're making your milky meal at the same time, in the same kitchen, we are risking cross-contamination. So let's run through some of the pitfalls. So you're aware of the pitfalls? Well, we run through some of the observations, some of the areas that you need to be careful about and need to be aware of before you can ask a shayla. We're not going to discuss in detail the halacha of the pitfalls. That means if a person does cross-contaminate what they should do, I expect for that you should pick up the phone to a rob and ask the rob a shayla, but at least you should know the observations that you need to make before you ask the Rav Shaila. You're going to phone up and say to the Rav, I did this, that, and the other. The Rav's going to start asking you 20 questions. It's if you know what to tell the Rav, you've really made it a lot easier for him and a lot easier for yourself. So to be aware in the kitchen, the purpose of tonight's 
next few minutes is just to make you aware when you're cooking, you're milky and you're meaty in the same time to be aware of what you need to be careful of. Pitfalls can happen. Mistakes can happen. Then you'll know what to look out for and you'll know what to, to mention to whoever you're going to ask the shayla to. The halach is that if a drop of milk falls, falls into a meaty pot or into the meaty pot, into the food inside a meaty pot, or a drop of meat falls into the food of a milky pot, then you have now cooked basar v'cholov. And basar v'cholov is asar b'hano, it's asar to eat, and asar b'hano, it's asar in ha'toyah. And you've transgressed an isa, the rice of cooking milky and meaty. We also have a rule that if you have 60 times the amount that dropped in in the pot. So say you've got a big meaty soup, a chicken soup, and a little drop of milk drops into it. So you have 60 times that tipas cholov, that small amount of milk in the meaty pot. Then we can say that little small amount is bottle and becomes annulled. And therefore it's not relevant. And the food and the pot are kosher, do not need to be kashered, and the food can be eaten. If you cook in a milky pot, meaty, or in a meaty pot, milky, even if the meaty pot or the milky pot is an Eina Ben Yoma, you're going to cause enormous trouble to your pots. Because you now have a pot which is absorbed with milky bleas from previous cooking and meaty bleas from the present cooking, or vice versa. And even if the milky bleas were more than 24 hours old, you still have a pot which has absorbed both types of bleas, that pot becomes strafe and cannot be used again until you've cashed it. There are other scenarios which are more common that you might come across in your kitchen when you're cooking milk or meaty. I'm going to run through just some of those scenarios that you might find. The first one is if you're cooking milk or meaty at the same time and you get some splashing from a milky pot into the meaty pot, as we mentioned, or from the milky pot, meaty pot into the milky pot, that means it goes directly into the food. Or you get splashing from the milky pot onto the meaty pot, that means onto the outside of the meaty pot. Or you get splashing onto the lid of the opposite type of, of pot. So you're cooking a milky pot and it splashes onto the lid of the meaty pot. Or you're cooking a meaty pot and it splashes onto the lid of a milky pot. This can happen when the pot that was splashed was hot. This can happen when the pot that was splashed was cold. It can happen when the splashing that you splashed was cold and the pot that it splashed on was hot. These are all relevant pieces of information that are relevant to a shayla that you may need to ask if that does happen to you in your kitchen. Another common, very common mistake that happens when one's busy and preparing for a yomtev and therefore not fully focused on what's going on in the kitchen sometimes is swapping lids. You may have two pots which look similar. One's a milky, one's a meaty. And the lids are similar, of course. They're very clearly marked. And, and they, you wouldn't normally in any way make a mistake of thinking that one is milky and one is meaty. But in the hustle and bustle of cooking for Yomtev, you by mistake picked up the wrong lid and you put it on the wrong pot. You picked up the milky lid and you put it on the meaty pot. You picked up the meaty lid and you put it on the milky pot, etc. Those are things that will commonly be found. Commonly doesn't mean they happen all the time, but they can happen in a kitchen when you're cooking at the same time. We can have the same story, but where the Milky pot that splashed, or the meaty pot that splashed, didn't splash onto a milky or meaty pot, but splashed onto a pot. 
Also very common. People more li- are more likely to cook parif together with mil- milky and meaty than they are to cook milky and meaty at the same time. But all these are scenarios that will happen and will be found in your kitchen, particularly pre-yontif in, a, in a, a pressurized time like we are heading into in the next few days. We find another common mistake which happens regularly in a kitchen and particularly when you're cooking two different types of food, power of meaty or milky meaty, is you pick up the wrong spoon to mix and stir the pot. So you may be cooking a meaty, meaty food and a milky food, and you then go and mix the meaty, meaty food with a milky, milky spoon or vice versa, the milky pot with a meaty spoon. That can happen when the pot is hot. It can happen when the pot is cold. These are all relevant pieces of information that one needs to know before one asks the shiloh. And the same can happen to parav. You could be cooking meaty and parav, and by mistake you picked up the, the milky spoon, meaty spoon, and you mixed your parav, or the parav spoon, and you put it in the meaty. We now need to know the status of the pots, status of the food, status of the spoon. Can I eat this food? Do I need to start recooking everything? Can I, do I need to cash my pots? Do I not need to cash my pots? Do I need to, can I use my spoon again? Can I not use my spoon again? Can I, do I, can I cash it? Do I need to cash the spoon? Do I not need to cash the spoon? These are all relevant questions that are going to come our way could come my way when we're cooking in a kitchen. Now, in order to make it a little bit easier for you, let's just run through some of the pieces of information, some of the observations that you should be making when these shiders happen. The first is, as we mentioned a moment ago, is there 60 times the pot? Which means, let's say a splash of milk splashes into the meaty pot or a splash of meat into the milky pot. Was there 60 times a splash in, in the pot? And that's something that only you can answer. The rob will never be able to know the answer to that because he's not going to, doesn't see your pot and you're not going to come around with a big pot and a equivalent amount of splash to show the rob. He's going to cross-examine you. He's going to say, was there 60 times? And you're going to say, mm, not sure. So he'll tell you how much was in the pot. Work it out. Was there a spoonful that fell in? Was it less than a spoonful? How many spoonfuls in the pot? That type of observation you can really make yourself. You can say to the rock, yes, there were 60 times, or no, there definitely wasn't 60 times. If you've got a big pot of soup and a tiny splash, we'll almost definitely have 60 times. If you're frying a few onions and you have a splash, you may not have 60 times. So that's something that is important for you to observe and mention to the rock. Is the, are the utensils that you're using ben yoyme or are they not ben yoyme? Meaning, have they been used for the opposite type of food within 24 hours? Well, has it not been used within 24 hours? So, for example, if I use a milky spoon to mix my meaty food in a boiling hot pot on the flame, and I took a milky spoon out of the drawer by mistake because I was so flustered because I was on the telephone trying to talk to people whilst I'm cooking milky and meaty and power all at the same time on the same cooker uh, and trying to concentrate on, on seven different types of uh, recipes to make it really amazing and wonderful for Yontif, I'm bound to make a mistake. And I picked up the wrong spoon, a milky spoon, and I mixed my meaty food. Then that will make a difference. Is my milky spoon a ben yoimo? Is it not a ben yoimo? Because if it's a ben yoimo, it's been used for hot milky within the last 24 hours. That could cause the food to become trafe. If it hasn't been used for 24 hours, then the food will remain okay. My spoon will need cashering, but the food will remain okay. So that's, again, a piece of information that you should be observing whilst you are cooking in your kitchen. Is it ben yoimo? Is it not ben yoimo? Another piece of information which is important for Rob to know, again, not all pieces of information are relevant to every single Shiloh, but they could come up and be relevant in different scenarios in the kitchen. And that is, what's the primary use of this pot? So, for example, do you always use this pot for large amounts of food? Is it a soup pot? 
So you nearly always, the majority of uses that you'll use this pot for will be with a large amount of food in it. Is it only used for a small amount of food? Is it like a frying pan where you just fry your small amount of onions in it? Not usually used for large amounts, etc., etc. That's the information that's important for a rock. And I'll give an example why it's important. So, for example, we have a scenario. You have a pyre of pots cooking and a splash. And this can happen to your kettle. It's quite common, actually, to happen to your kettle. You could be, you have a normal kettle, electric kettle, which you boil uh, water for your coffee and you poured in the milk in the cup first and you poured the hot water over it and then it splashed and it landed a little bit, landed on your kettle. Or you have your kettle on the side and a bit of chicken soup splashed on the, the, on the kettle, et cetera, et cetera. Or a, a pyre of pot that you're cooking a soup. For, for yomtev, a pyre of soup for yomtev or for pre-yomtev, and a bit of splash of milky or meaty landed on the pot. Does that pot now become milky? Does it become meaty? Has it changed its status? What's the status of the food? There, that piece of information will be extremely relevant to a rov. Is this a pot that you nearly always use with shishim more than the splash? So a little drop of chicken soup lands on the outside of your pyre of pot. Then we have a halacha, which is quoted in the Chachmas Adam and others as well, that since it's only pyre, if you wait 24 hours, you don't use the pot for 24 hours. And the pot is nearly always used for large amounts. There will be shishim in the pot against the amount that splashed. The combination of two colors here. And the shishim in the pot, nearly always, that would allow this pot to remain pirate. And that's a very, very important piece of information for Rav to know. If you don't give the Rav the information, he's going to answer the Shaila wrong. When we're dealing with splashing from one pot to the other, we need, really need to know where the splash landed. Did the splash land above the food line? Did it land below the food line? We need to know, was the food in the, was the pot they splashed on hot? Was the pot they splashed on cold? Was the food that splashed, was it hot? Was the food that splashed cold? The pot that was splashed on, was the food inside bubbling? Or was the food not inside bubbling? Was it steaming? Was it not steaming? And that's very relevant for where you swap lids, for example. Was it steaming? Does it therefore make the lid trafe? If it wasn't steaming, then the lid never came into contact with the opposite type of food. I put a milky lid on a meaty pot, which hasn't yet come to a boil, there's no steam, then the lid won't become trafe. If it has has come to a boil, it is steaming, then it will come straight, become trafe straight away. Splashing on a lid, if it splashes from a milky onto a meaty lid, or meaty onto a milky lid, will the food inside the pot become trafe? Because it's now been cross-contaminated by milky or meaty, will it not? Will make a difference as to whether the pot has boiled, Come to a boil has not come to a boil. All these types of information are extremely important for Rob to know. A spoon. How much of the spoon was put into the into the pot when you when you stirred? How much wasn't? So, for example, if you're stirring soup, then you can assume that a large proportion of the spoon went into the pot. If you're just stirring onions, then a very small amount of the spoon went into the food, and that will make again make a huge difference to the shaila and the tshuva of a rov. So these are very, very important halachas and observations that you really need to be aware of. When you're cooking from preparing for Pesach, you're cooking your meaty, you're, you're cooking your milky, really be careful. Make sure that we don't cross-contaminate. And if we do, make sure that you have the observations clear. You know what the scenario exactly was. So when you ask the shaila, the rov can give you a clear, concise 
a straight answer. This is a situation, and that's the the result of that situation. Where life becomes complicated for a rob is when they, you phone up and uh, three weeks later, and you say, "This is what happened there, Shavuos. I didn't have time to call you, and I'm really sorry." But I think, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. I don't know. Perhaps and if. And then you're asking your off to answer a shayla, which is not possible for him to really answer. He has no knowledge of what the true facts are. So you're putting him in a very difficult situation. Other areas of, of concern when it comes to repairing is not to put wrong cutlery in the wrong dishwasher, wrong wash up, the wrong pots and pans in the wrong sinks, etc. Putting cutlery in the wrong drawer. These are all things that are so easily can happen. These are common things that can happen in the bustle of preparing for Yom Tov. And these are all things that we really got to be careful about before Yom Tov, try and, and, and be as on top of it as, as much as we can, not to cross-contaminate our kitchen. I'm going to finish early because it's Arab Yom Tov, and I don't want to keep you much longer. But I think we've covered anything that's, that's relevant to preparing for Yom Tov. We've covered the different minhagim of Yom Tov. We've covered the, the areas of concern in a kitchen. Just briefly so that we can be aware and try and, and uh, be a little bit more careful to make sure that we don't cross contaminate. And I wish you all a fantastic Yom Tov. It should be an amazing Kabbalah Satayah. The Minhagim are extremely important. Don't give up at any minute. Keep all the Minhagim of Klal Yisrael, the Minhagim in your family, the Minhagim in, in, in your community. Follow the Minhagim to, to the T. Enjoy them because Minig expresses our love for Torah, expresses our our commitment to Torah, expresses how we we turn every aspect of our life into Torah, and it becomes a, a real part of Torah to the extent they may even push away some element of halacha at some level, as we discussed. This Yom Tov Shushu also bring not just Kabbalah Satayah, but Shefa Bracha, an unbelievable outpouring of Bracha to the whole of Klal Yisrael. Each one of us, whoever needs a Yeshua, should have a Yeshua. Whoever needs Hatzlacha, should have Hatzlacha. Panosa, Panosa. Children, Zivugim, whatever we need, should come together with the Bracha of Torah. And the greatest Bracha of all will be when we see the end of all Saurus and Klal Yisrael. We can all be together at the coming of Mashiach to meet him and greet him together. Have a very good night and a good Yom Tov. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much.